Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Antonsen. Today's a good day been flat for a week here woke up it's already breaking out back i want to get this show done i'm gonna get out there and just froth does anybody else have a really really hard time with flat weeks my wife was joking around yesterday it's like i'm a lost dog i just walk around the house like looking in pantries and stuff i'm searching for something it's the waves they're not inside um but they're back i feel fantastic i cannot wait to get out there i did have two toe days in the last week for dialing gear and I have to say that and this is some pedagogues always telling me and I'm lazy but it is so good to dial gear behind a boat and the foil that I'm dialing right now is the new Takuma Kujira 1095 which might be one of the best foils I have ever written. I'm still a little hesitant to say that fully with full confidence just because I haven't had it in a wide range of conditions yet. But it is by far the best pumping foil I have ridden that still surfs. Now, the extent to which it's going to surf is still a little bit unknown. I've done a couple really good turns on it. It bangs foam really good. It slides easily through the foam, which is insane for something that's over a meter wide. But um, it's the cranking of the turns. But what I've been working on behind the boat is going between uh, the offset stance and the normal surf stance, which I prefer most of the time. But what I'm finding is you have so much more leverage, especially over your toes on bottom turns, um, front side. The, uh, that really opens up the ability to draw tighter lines up into the pocket and then uh, crank. But it's not the same foot position from the bottom turn to the top turn. And so this has been my kind of breakthrough moment in the last week and a half. And that is that... I did a lot of subsurfing. I did a huge dive into subsurfing. If you guys never followed that, it's the Paddlewoo podcast. There's 75 episodes on it. Similar thing. Um, started from zero and um, went through and, and got as good as I could. And uh, the goal was to win national championships in Costa Rica, and I got two of those. And um, that's just to say that like the the progression and the and the arc of learning is similar to what I'm doing here, and it's a similar path in that. Um, I just love the learning process and I love the learning process with goals. And in foiling, we don't really have that yet, but it's incrementally getting better and, and all this stuff. So anyways, um, the bottom turn and subsurfing, it, you, you're riding a board that is so much bigger than you would shortboarding that to get what you need out of it, you have to move your back foot from the bottom turn back to the top turn. It goes over the front fins. Um, on the rail for the bottom turn front side and then moves back all the way to the tail almost to the heel rail there on on the top turn and cutback and i never looked at foiling as a sport where you were going to move your foot that frequently but what i'm finding though and i think this has a lot to do with what foils i'm riding so i like foils with a whole lot of front foot pressure 
And now that I've been diving into the Takuma foils for about, I don't know, almost a month now, almost exclusively um, because I'm on this learning dive, they have so much front foot pressure that it's freeing up my back foot. And I just realized this kind of on a boat day the other day. And I now have the ability to move and in the mindset, you know, it's opened up my mind to being able to do this, something I never thought I was going to do on a foil, but to move my foot from a bottom turn to a top turn. And it has changed the way that I can approach surfing a wider foil. Um, and I credit, you know, like uh, Adam uh, to some extent and, and Mike a whole lot for helping me realize this. Mike's been going more and more offset. He just did an asymmetrical board for the Takuma 1440 and he's drawing insane lines. And so I like the offset stance for certain carves, but then, you know, hitting foam, it's disastrous. It's terrible. And the paradigm shift of now moving feet in between turns is opening up the right feel in the right place for me. And I'm sure it's going to be ugly for a little while, but I think that's the future. I think that on wider wings, now I'm not talking about a lift 150 or a game changer. You don't need that much rail control on foils that roll that easily, but on wider foils you do. And so I'm just super frothy and I'm, I'm actually really excited to get out back right now and, and try it. So uh, 1095s a winner. It's a ridiculously good foil. How good? Not sure yet. So, all right, let me talk about our guest today. Um, Jim Bones is the guest, and I huge thanks to Skyrama for putting this together. Set it all up. That's my beagle atlas going crazy. Probably a little dog walking around downstairs. Um, Jim Bones, guest, Skyrama, invited him over to his house, set the whole thing up on Zoom for us, and, um, and actually urged me to get him on the show. And, and once I started saying, you know, on Instagram that Jim was coming on the show, uh, Austin Tovey's reaching out. My buddy Robbie's reaching out. Everybody who's met Jim is a le- um, has said he's a legend. And uh, I didn't know much going in, but I'm, I'm a huge fan after getting to uh, talk to, to Jim for, you know, an hour and a half here. It's one of the beautiful, beautiful things about doing a podcast is that you get to have a conversation with someone that immediately gets past all of the trivial trivial stuff that we talk about normally. And you get to get deep right away. And it's something that I actually do sometimes if, if I'm out meeting new people is I kind of go into podcast mode a little bit because I find that if you can get that first two or three minutes to get past the how's the weather, who do you know, all that crap, and you get to start to really talk to someone. You get to learn more about them. And, and it ends up being a much more productive, valuable, uh, enjoyable uh, way to engage someone. So that's just a side note. If you guys want to host a podcast, you should because it's amazing. Uh, just the people that you get to meet. And that was what I was thinking about after after doing this show and recording with Jim was just like, I'm excited that I got to learn from this guy for an hour and a half. Um, I love his mindset. I love the way that he thinks about the world. And, um, I think that you guys are too. And I wanted this to come out on Thanksgiving and we traveled and saw family and it was, couldn't, couldn't get it done in time. So I apologize for that. Cause I thought it'd be a great, just the, the gratitude that he approaches life with, I thought would have been incredible to release on Thanksgiving, but it didn't happen. And I apologize, but 
it's still all there and it's it's really good so enjoy learning from bones and i cannot wait to get out to maui and and surf share share water and energy uh with with jim so thanks again for coming on sky thanks for putting it together and hope you guys enjoy the show bones thanks for coming on the podcast how's it going excellent aloha thanks for having me yeah, this is going to be awesome and i should also mention that sky is joining and has facilitated this so huge thanks for uh, for setting it up sky absolutely been wanting to get bones on for a while as well let's start there sky why did you want bones to come on the podcast i wanted him to come on because he has so much um you know aloha out in the water and he has a lot of wisdom he has a lot of good stories and uh, i just thought he'd be a great ambassador to have on the on the show and uh, and to share a lot of that wisdom to to you know a lot of foilers who don't get a chance to uh, to meet him in person or to ride with him because what he does out in the water is pretty impressive um so yeah i just thought that it would be a good thing to have him come on i think that sentiment is shared by everyone at least that i know who has foiled with your bones you know austin tovey and robbie two of my really good friends here spent some time out with you guys and austin you should have seen my my messages blow up after <laughs> the post came out that you were coming on the show he was so fired up so it was really cool um yeah great to meet him and the boys for sure yeah let's uh let's start with a little bit of, of background on on who you are because you know, outside of seeing the, the foiling clips, I have no idea of, you know, your, your, your path in surfing, your life. Let's start there so we have some context. Well, I'm 74 years old. And I was born in Huntington Beach in 1947. We lived in a school bus on the beach there. And there wasn't very much surfing going on. There was three people in the school who surfed. But being on the water like that i just i really enjoyed the water and being out there so that was the that was the start of it and it carried through every sport that came along the the first time i saw robbie nash come to the big island and do a couple backflips over me while i was out surfing him and mike walsh came by and they caught maybe five or six set waves and my friend and I just sat there catching nothing and blown out slop on our surfboards. And I said, I feel like a dinosaur. So I immediately got a windsurfer and all of my friends called me gay and all the surfer guys didn't <laughs> want to with it. They didn't want to hear me talk about it because I was enthused. But it was obvious for me, it was a jet ski towing before jet ski towing was happening. Um, that progressed into kiting. The moment I touched the kite in 97, I think I was 50 years old, uh, I didn't windsurf one day after that. And kiting was like even more phenomenal as anybody who's experienced it knows. And we, we kite from Ho'okipa here on Maui to Molokai and then from Molokai to Oahu. And it's just really, uh, you know, it, it's a really expansive multidimensional sport and I must say that after doing that for 23, 24 years, by the way, a big shout out to Nash, who sponsored me through all those 24 years, still does. Uh, I touched a foil. I was already kite foiling, but 
once I touched a foil with a surfboard, that was it. You know, kiting, I, I tried to do the most fun thing first. And right now it's foiling. And I used to think and speak of what's coming around the corner that we haven't seen yet that's going to just take our breath away. And here it was foils, even though they already existed. When foils first started, it was kind of, in, in my world over here on Maui, it was Alex Aguera doing them in secret. I asked him to put one on the bottom of the board, and, and his answer was rather curt and short, and it was no, because I think he was secretly developing it, and he just didn't want it let out. And so when it did come out, I got to use some of his prototypes, and I wasn't a stand-up paddler per se. I, I could do it, but I was not very good at it at all. I, I'm a surfer, and I'm a shortboard prone surfer. So I grabbed a kid's shortboard paddleboard, and I put a box in it, had it put in, and, and put one of the foils on it. And Alex took a picture of me riding it, and he, he said, maybe we can do it prone. So prone really didn't even exist. And when we went to Lopez asking for boards, he goes, okay, what do they look like? <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't know what he said, how long? We didn't know. You know, how, where, where do you want the, the box? We didn't know. You know, it was, uh, it was really fun in those days. And that, that beginning fun has just stayed right to this very day. Every, everybody out in the water that's, proning they're like a little 11 year old grom you know they're just so excited they're jumping up and down they're frothing at the mouth when they talk they're just full of love and aloha and and they're ageless i don't care what age you are we all we all just you know babble on about this sport and nobody wants to hear about it unless they <laughs> do it and so that's that's kind of what brought me to where i am here now are you the first person to prone foil? Do you know anyone who did it before you? No, I, I wouldn't say that. I would, in, in, in my little world, it, it might have been, and, and I might have been an early riser in that, but I have no way really of knowing. I just remember Alex Aguera's comment that, you know, maybe we can do it prone. And it, it just took off from there. What do you think, and I like asking this question to everyone because little differences sneak out, but what is it about foiling that is so magical? Well, again, to compare it to the early days of surfing, when my father first bought a used surfboard for me and tied it with a rope on top of the car, as we went down the coast highway, a surfer with a board on top of his car came the other direction and ran us off the road so he could talk to us and he wanted to know how the waves were up north we had no idea we just went up to buy the board i think i was eight years old or nine and, and but that camaraderie that's that's just you know inherent to everybody who's new in a sport that was just there were no others in the water there never is they're just us and right now, that's happening with foiling. In surfing, everybody's kind of, you have to be near the peak to take off. And it's kind of a crowded pipeline, give it an example, situation. And everybody, you know, to whatever extent that they surf, there's a little bit of aggression going on. With foiling, it's the opposite of that. We, we don't need to sit in a cluster. We can spread out along a reef. As soon as you catch a wave, you might 
at Ka'a by the airport here in Maui, I'll paddle out with Sky and I might not see him for two hours because the, the arena is so vast and the places we can go foiling. And you know, could you foil that as soon as you take off on a wave, you can disappear and be blocks away from anybody that you took off next to. So it doesn't have that competitive thing that, that uh, surfing has. And it's not crowded yet. And everybody out there is truly helpful and kind and courteous. And they're wanting to see you advance and to be present when somebody gets it and they stand up and catch their first wave. That's a real privilege, you know, and, and it's just, uh, it's, it's a very joyous moment in the history of this. And I really identify with the, the, the camaraderie that's going on in the water. There are no others out there, whether they're on a stand-up or a foil board or a boogie board. There's never an other in the water. You know, in Hawaii, you tend to greet everybody who comes out to the break. You introduce yourself. You ask them who they are. And if you go to another break, you do the same. You, you ask people on the beach, what's up? I'd like to foil here. And it's just kind of a, I don't know, pioneer days uh, environment. And it brings out the best in people. You know, if you go into a strange beach and you introduce yourself and you ask permission, you know, do you think I can foil out here? Or, or would it be okay if I surfed out here? What's, what's the dangers around here? And if you're just open, then then you're respecting the person you talk to, you're an ambassador for foiling or whatever you're doing, and they, they open up and they respect that and they'll treat you with respect. It's instantaneous. And I really, really enjoy that, that part of water sports, but foiling being new, it's, it's really alive and well in foiling. Everybody's, everybody's just very enthused and very open. It's, it's very joyous. That's one of my favorite parts of foiling as well right now. I was a part of stand-up surfing and it was a similar feeling in that stand-up kind of died out. You've been a part of surfing early days, windsurfing, kite surfing, now foiling, and you've seen the arc, the evolution in those sports. Is there any hope that we'll be able to keep the current sentiment going or is that going to to fade away at some point with popularity and and all? Is Do you have any thoughts on on how we could keep that going and if it's possible well it's it's inevitable at some crowded spots where the where the the only place to catch the wave is you know a 20 foot 20 yard circle you 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 might run into something eventually but i think the the fact that we're so mobile on the water and we don't need a sharp point break or or a uh, concentrated break we can use outer reefs uh, I, I think it's it's going to be much less of an impact and I, I can't really see the future but even with all the other sports that, that I've been through you know it's not there's a brotherhood out in the water where people whether they admit it or not you know you're you're being supported you're floating up and down talk about a meditative place to be just to be in the ocean is, is uh, you know, it, it touches us all in a way that we can't really articulate into words. So I can't really see the future of it, but I, I hope that it will keep the Aloha spirit. And Duke Hanamoko, who, who introduced surfing to the unknown world, 
uh, on the back of his business card, you know, it said a little thing about Aloha. And true Aloha in its literal English translation is Alo, which is in the presence of, fill in the blank, but it's in the presence of, and then Ha is the breath. So in the presence of the breath of what you are, <clears throat> when Hawaiians greet each other, they put their foreheads together and their third eye is like kissing, basically. And they look right into the other person's eye and they exhale pretty forcefully and they say, <sighs> and it's the breath of life. And you're breathing your breath of life, your energy onto that person. And they're breathing theirs simultaneously onto yours. You're certainly cannibalizing each other's happiness and you're spreading the happiness and anytime you say aloha or if you just greet somebody out in the water you don't have to use the word but your openness and welcoming the other person is it doesn't get any better than that and i see a lot of that in foiling and at least it's here right now and the duke wanted to keep it in his lifestyle whether it was surfing or not and i think that every foiler has a chance to and enjoy this and to truly be themselves for just a moment and be open and not see an other, just see us. I love that. For me, one of the most beautiful things about foiling is the deep state that you are in. It almost, it's almost as if you are uh, being barreled the entire time that you're riding, you know, the focus that's required, the headspace that you have to tap into while you're riding a wave for somehow for me is meditative and um, addictive and I can't get enough of it. I mean, I, I foil <laughs> four hours a day, Absolutely. almost every day. <laughs> it's all I think about. It's, it's sad and beautiful at the same time. Do you remember your first flights and what captivated you early on? Was there a moment when you saw it and you're like, I'm going to try this. And then was, it, was there a moment as you were doing it that you knew it was going to be a huge part of your life? Walk through the early feels of, of getting into the sport. When the air chair came over to Maui and they cut the top off and put snowboard boots on it and went out at Jaws, I, I knew immediately that it was coming to everybody eventually, but they needed bigger foils. You know, the, the air chair is made to be towed behind a boat at maybe 13, 14 knots. And surfing to get up on a wave, you need a bigger foil. So when I saw that and Laird came busting into the fish market in Paia and his eyes were big and he's kind of, I know it's hard to believe, but he's kind of a shy person. And he said, you won't believe it. He was on fire. And he said, I rode from Maliko to the basketball courts in Paia on an unbroken wave with no assistance. Somebody towed him in, you know, with the jet ski. But once he got moving, he did that. And he was ecstatic. And that's the moment I knew that it was coming to all of us. And, and we, we were going to get that feeling. As for the first time I rode a foil, it was with a kite. So I was already used to the feeling of the foil. But the first time I got up on it, just like everybody remembers their first wave when they surf, that first free ride, that slide down the face of it is, it's indelible stuff in your memory and you just want it again and again. And foiling is exactly that. It was 
very much a feeling of freedom. And in that same line, like race car drivers, they drive race cars because you have to be 100% present and it forces them to be 100% present. And that's a really nice place to be. You don't think about the banking or the mortgage or anything else. You can't bring baggage. And I think when you're up on a foil, there's really no room for the luggage. You know, and I, I think that that's the part of the stoke that we all get. Yeah. I thinking about, I just got out of the water right now and it's chaotic out there. It's a hard North wind and a pretty decent sized head high South swell, not epic conditions and so technical, but that the, the difficulty created some incredibly beautiful moments. It's um, it really flips conditions on their head. How have you changed in perception, how has your perception changed um, when you look at the ocean now? Is it drastically different? Well, everything's possible, even things we can't imagine yet. And there's no uh, blown out days because the foil is underwater. It's always glassy when we foil in the, in the spectrum of what the, what the machine is touching. And it's, uh, it's, it's new possibilities and there's, there's no bad days. There never were any bad days in anything, but especially in foiling. When, when I go out, I usually hit the water at maybe 6.30, something like that, and it's just gotten light. Um, it'll be sometimes an hour before anybody else shows up. And then after, you know, two or three hours, they all run, run out of food or something and they go in. And I'm out there alone or just one person left. And then the next crew will come out and they run out of gas and then they go in. And I'm, I'm still catching waves and having a good time. And sometimes in the sixth hour, my pump is just as good as in the first hour. So I'm really enjoying myself. I, I, I hate to come in, but sometimes the salty lips and the, the thirst for water gets to me. I carry a couple apple juice packs in my pocket and a, a little thing of uh, a little honey bear that I refurbish with, with honey. So it just gives me a little something out there. And when it's lychee season, I fill my wax pocket with lychee. And you hand somebody a lychee out in the water, whether they're a known person or somebody who has just met you. They, you know, it, it tastes so good on the lips. It gets rid of the salt. It refreshes them. What joy, you know, what, what pure joy. So five, six-hour sessions are, are fairly common for me. And the people come and the people go. But just like you, you know, I don't want to get out of the water. And, and when I do, it's, it's sometimes just to go back in for another three hours after the sandwich and some water. I bring sunscreen with me out in the water because it just won't last. And I wear protective goggles for my eyes that keep the sun tint down a little bit. I mean, it's a tint that keeps the sun from frying my retina so much. And I, there's no place that I would rather be than, than out there foiling. What's your secret to being able to, to foil for six? I mean, it's one of the most athletically challenging sports, physically challenging sports that there is pumping around. And, you know, you're an older foiler. I think we could say that. And logging those type of hours is insane. How, how do you do it? 
I think it's not me doing it. I think it's opportunity. You know, uh, exercise is the privilege of those who are capable of doing it. It's it's a it's a privilege. It's not a given, and we all have the ability to do this. So I love taking full advantage of of that situation, and I I I would be hurting myself if I did it in any less form. It, it would definitely, like when you miss a day and you can't go out, you know that that slight heartache. Missed yesterday, it was hard. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. You know, no matter what water sport you do, you go in the water and then you could go on your way to work and have two flat tires, you wouldn't care. You know, you've already gotten yours. Everybody, it's hard to speak of it, but Everybody's gotten their magic, you know, you, there's something about water, you know, you try and sometime when you're angry and really upset, go in and take a shower. And I dare you to go through that shower and keep your anger. See if you can keep your anger through the next shower you have. I challenge you. I love your mindset. Have you always been this positive? I've been told such things. So there was never a moment where the gratitude that you express for life in the ocean was expressed. You've always had that. Generally, someone with a mindset like yours, um, you know, had some sort of um, adversity that allowed the gift of the gratitude. It's it's beautiful if if you've just had it all the time. Well, I think, you know, a little baby crawling on the floor, it doesn't need to worry about anything. It doesn't carry around much baggage. I think, I think we make our own adversaries, and, and we're kind of at the head of the line. And I had so much joy growing up just being on the beach and running around. It's, it's pure joy. What playground have you ever gone to where the kids aren't squealing and in full happiness and giddy with it? And my life has kind of been living at a playground. So I think it's just, it's not me. It's just a natural occurrence of, of uh, environment. Did you go to like the Paskowitz school? No, but when I lived in the school bus, I could identify with them because I had four older brothers. That's five of us. And then mom and dad were all in a school bus, but we're on the beach. We, we, we camped out on the beach for the first 12 years of my life. There was no shower, no refrigerator, no bathroom, but I didn't miss any of that stuff. I had the ocean, you know, so uh, take your kid to the beach. You know, you, you can't do anything better for a child than let them have that size of a playground. In, in my humble opinion, I, I just think uh, it, you're a product of your environment. And I, I don't know the, Mrs. Lindbergh, Charles Lindbergh's wife, she lived on Kauai and she wrote a little book. And she said, when you get up in the morning, you, you don't even remember who you are for a few seconds. And then the mortgage and this and that can come back into your head. And she said, if you go and walk along the beach, everybody likes to be near the water. And as you're walking along, maybe your thought barnacles will build up on you. But if you dive in that water, it washes all those barnacles off. I don't care who you are or what religion. So I think there's something to do with water involvement and, and happiness. 
possibly I'm extrapolating on just a thought, but but I think there's some connection there, and and I I don't think it's any attributes that I have. I think it's just the the result of being loved when you grow up and having a good environment to be in. That's beautiful. Do you take foiling seriously? Is it all play or do you focus on progression and getting better? Oh, we all focus on progression and getting better. You know, my, my wife is very tolerant, but you know, when I come home, I'm, I'm looking at foil videos on YouTube and I'm watching how they pump and I'm listening to what they say. And I'm, buying every new wing that comes out if I think there's any chance that it's going to improve my game. And it's so thrilling, as you know, to, to improve. And we improve every day. When people come out to learn on their first couple of days, I open my big mouth and I remind them that, you know, they're, they're, right now they're a beginner and they should really enjoy that because, you know, within the first two weeks, you're going to scoop up about 30% of your knowledge of how to foil. And you're going to take it in big scoops and big bites every hour of the every day in the beginning. And then later, you'll learn the last 70% over the years. But all the time, you're, you're learning and adding more to your, your repertoire. And, and, you know, look back at you a year before now and look a year before that. And it's joyous to be a kook and to be a beginner at anything. It's really uh, very satisfying. And I don't know, when, when there's nobody out and I'm foiling, it's fun. But when there's people out there, oh, my God, that's the real, the real joy of foiling is the people. You know, you might not realize it, but take the people away and, and it's lost in them. And to be able to pump out to, to the next wave, to the third wave, to the fourth wave, is, is it's a gift. You know, I mean, it, it's something well worth working for because, you you know, we paddle so much in our lives. Where we go at Ka'a, it's a half-mile paddle. That's 15 minutes to get out there. When you catch the wave, it's 2 minutes and 40 seconds to ride it back to the beach. And then you got this 15-minute paddle again. So if you can cut that up into smaller pieces and, you know, chip out earlier and, and pump back out, then you've, you've got this constant flow like Skyrama who's you know I mean he's he's almost not human as far as what he does and everybody looks to him and everybody learns and to just be in the water with that guy to to hear his wisdom and his tips and to have him school me on you know don't be a low rider get that foil up high in the water high and dry and all of that is invaluable information and really lucky to be around any other foiler especially anybody that's better than you because you you glean that information off of them it's really really a fun opportunity i know you do the same a absolutely I, I feel like i play music and i feel like it's a very similar to playing music in that it's fun to play by yourself but it's way more fun to play with other people and oh absolutely we're blessed to have an incredible foil crew here. You know, Brian's here now and Austin and Pedigo and a bunch of the other guys too. And so on any given day, we've got a crew of three to seven people out back and the energy feeds on itself. It, it's really cool. And I think it's helping everyone progress because everyone is 
learning and competing and sharing the stoke. It's a wonderful thing. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned yeah, you, you mentioned there getting your hands on every new piece of kit that comes out. I'm the exact same way. What in the evolution of what's happening right now in design and manufacturing in the sport, what is surprising you? What are you loving? Uh, I'm loving high aspect wings that are still, you know, uh, performance surfable. They're, they're so amazingly fast. And the short fuselage is the key to making a wide wing not feel so wide. And the, you know, the, the, the stabilizer on the rear is a whole game within itself. Uh, there's monofoils out there. They're kind of shaped like a delta wing airplane. Mm-hmm. And they don't have a fuselage or a tail. And I think that that's the future. But we will see as it comes around. All the racers have gone to it from kite racing. They've broken all the records with it because there's no drag. Just just your leash wrapped around your mask will stop anybody from foiling. And so anything that's not right on that underwater setup is is multiplied by 1,400 as, as a mistake. And so the vast improvements and... And the fact that there's so many engineers working on this now, I just love the, right now at this moment, I love the high aspect wing, you know, coming into it in in full glory as it should. And I like surf wings too, and I like turning them. Foil companies have to stay in business and make money. So their job is to make an introductory level wing that will get people into foiling quickly and not turn them off. And that's what they did for the first few years. And now they're finally starting to work towards the, you know, the percentage of foilers that, that want something more than just that. And I, I love to see all the, all the progress and all the different designs. What are you riding right now? I'm riding an Armstrong 72 centimeter mast, 50 fuselage, uh, a Cheater 1325 high aspect wing. And uh, various tail wings, the V200, the, some of the chopped wings, some of them full length. It's good to mix it up and, and try new things. And I took it to heart what Army Armstrong said was, change one thing at a time and feel the difference. Don't, don't change a mast and a fuselage. Tr- try one thing, change it, and then add something, change that. So you can feel what, what each thing that you've done has brought to you. But for right now, I, I, I'm, I'm a surfer by heart, so I really like the quick-turning, high-performance capability of a foil, but I also like the pump capability. So it's kind of a mix of the high aspect and getting it small enough. Right now, my favorite wing is a 925. It's, got a, it's small enough that you can throw that around and surf it, and it doesn't fight you as much as some of the bigger wings that will allow you to pump well. And you can pump that 925 just fine, you know, and it's only the beginning. Yeah. The, this last two months of iteration in gear has been, I'm so stoked on what's just happened 
because it's starting. We've all been dreaming of that wing you can turn and still pump. You've had the choice of either. And now it seems like we're getting the best of both. Um, I love yes. the Armstrong 925, 725. I just got the Takuma 1095 HA, and that thing's blowing my mind. Um, it's going to be exciting. Like I think that the, the designers have just started to figure out how to merge the two. And I think the next year is going to be so exciting. How, how fun is that to be a part of a sport at the evolutionary curve to where you have the skill set to take advantage of everything new coming out? Oh, it's very exciting and fun. And, and it just came to my mind that, you know, prone surfing is about four years old and it's in its infancy. And anybody who has footage of the early days of foiling in any, in any respect should hold on to that footage because this is the beginning of a new sport. This is the beginning of surfing. And the, the first few, you know, actual recordings, videos and stuff of, of how it was, where it came from, that's going to be very valuable and, and very educational for people in the future. It's, uh, you know, it's just an opportunity and, and don't, don't give up the, the footage that will end up in an archive because this is very important days. Did kiting and windsurfing evolve at the same rate that foiling is evolving? I don't know. That's hard for me to say. Uh, windsurfing was promoted by Schweitzer, and he made a bunch of like all one size windsurfers and promoted racing, and and it's it spread around the world. And in the early days of windsurfing, there was more windsurfers in Germany than in the whole United States. In Europe, to own a boat, to own a vessel is quite prestigious. And this one you can put on the roof of your car. So it spread on lakes and it spread everywhere. And I think with the foiling, the wing is doing that. I think the wing is taking the foil to people who wouldn't normally be on a foil. And people who have light wind conditions, foiling opens that up to them. You have to have a lot of wind to windsurf and to kite to some respect. But the foil eliminates all that. My big kite in the old days was a 25, and I live on Maui. Now, <laughs> I six. My little kite is a 2.2. You know, so it really, it's, it's changed a lot of things. And by the way, a 2.2, when, when, when you have a kite mare with it, it's, it's not too painful because it doesn't have the power to jerk you around and throw you around like a 10-meter kite can. Um, I must admit, I don't miss the kite lines, and I don't miss the kite mares, and I don't miss the fact that every time you're in the water, you have to have a 100-foot circle around you of, of being careful because you can affect that area, even 200 feet if you, get, if you get yanked. And, you know, with foiling, it looks dangerous, but at least you're a little more contained. You're, you're kind of more in your own area when you have a wreck or a mess up. And... By the way, just to interject that, if you're foiling and you're around people and you don't have a leash, come talk to me. Because I tell you, this is not the way to represent the sport and you're going to feel real bad. It's the same as riding your motorcycle at about 40 miles an hour. 
running it right through the school ground playground and jumping off that thing and let her go. And that's what you're doing when you're foiling. And, you know, if you don't see eye to eye with me on that, then I'd, I'd like you to get in my face about it because I think we all have to respect other people in the water. We're aliens when we come. It looks scary to them. You know, when, when I'll take you through the whole progression, you know, when I was skimboarding, the body surfers scared me. When I body surfed, the boogie boarders scared me. When I boogie board, the stand up boarders scared me. When I stand up board, the windsurfers scare me. When I windsurf, the kiters scare me. When I kite surf, the kite foilers scare me. So I've been in all of these stages and I can't believe as I go to the next stage, well, I can believe it, but my friends behind me, you know, they, they make fun of me, call me names, but they won't convert to the new sport. And, you know, you're a windsurfer. Kiting is the next step. It's the natural progression, pardon the pun. So it's, we, we're aliens. Like if you come up on a dirt bike into somebody that's walking on a trail, if you stop, take your helmet off. You look like an alien. You want to be able to relate to them, you know, don't let them see you as this outsider other thing. And as foilers, we look pretty damn foreign to people and we scare them. And, you know, we're all scared of them. We, we know what, what they can do. So you know, I, I just think, well, I've got the mic, you know, show some respect and use a leash in the story. Why do you think that in the example you just gave there, the windsurfers not wanting to jump on the kite, why do you think it is that some people have such a hard time jumping on the next evolution of, of Stoke or, or whatever you want to call it? Uh, you know, I saw that in stand up and I'm seeing that in foiling in Florida. It's, I mean, in Florida, we have terrible surf. I mean, absolutely horrible. I came back from Costa Rica and the depression was insane. I look at foiling like a gift from the gods that where I live now is amazing. And the vast majority of surfers here are not interested. And it kind of blows my mind. Why is it that some people don't see it or are hesitant or, um, in, in your, in your, in your view? Well, surfers are an interesting tribe. You know, they're all loners. They're all lone wolves. They didn't join the canoe club. They're not paddling in unison. They're not into team sports, but yet they all wear the same brand of trunks in the same color. They wear the same Hirachi sandals. They wear the same everything. They're, they're so alike, it's tribal as can be. And they don't want to be looked upon as different. They don't want to ride a finless surfboard. They don't want to step out of what is the norm for their biker club, their, their surf club. And, you know, if, if none of your friends like a Corvette, you're not going to go buy a Corvette. You're more influenced by what your friends like and what they, their opinion of you than, than your own. So maybe you'll be a Porsche person or something else. But if, if you go, you know, look at a used Corvette and all your friends go, don't buy that plastic piece of junk, then you're not going to be too motivated to go there. So I think since all their friends surf and they're in that clique, that it's, they have to break the mold to be an individual like... Kyle Lenny's a great example. They used to throw rocks at that little kid when he would go out at Okipa. And look at him now. You know, they all would love to get his autograph. And it's, I don't know, it's just human nature. 
People are afraid of the unknown. They're afraid of what they don't understand. And we are that right now, being foilers. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's really important to, to see it for what it is and, um, you know, be happy that within yourself you were brave enough to try something new. And we're all getting the rewards of it. What are the commonalities with the folks who do decide to jump on the new? You mean what, what qualities do they share in common? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I think openness, willing to be themselves, willing to stand up and say, hey, all six of you are kicking that dog. How about you don't kick the dog? It's that kind of person, you know, one who isn't so, uh, doesn't have enough self-esteem to, to say the truth. They would rather be part of the club. And I don't mean to pick on them. I'm, I'm, I am them, but that's all I can understand from it. They're, in, they're influenced by their environment. And their environment is the people that they're out in the water with. Most people are born, get married, and die within 50 miles of the same spot on Earth. What does that tell you? They won't get out of Compton because all their friends are there. And yet they can come to Hawaii and be riding waves rather than, you know, shooting each other on the street. I think it's just part of the, the human element or even, you know, in animals. I think it's just there in nature. I notice in a lot of the Instagram videos that I'm seeing, uh, they're either of you foiling or on the bus after. Is that your bus? Uh, no, that's Grover Cleveland's bus. It's kind of a new addition. But, you know, we're on the south side of the island here and it's hot. And that's an insulated tour bus. And it's, it's become the clubhouse. And, you know, when he drives off before I come out of the water and get to eat my lunch in his bus, I'm sad. <laughs> the, 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 heat is, the heat is oppressive here in the middle of the day, and you need to go get in some shade. Um, Sky, can you still hear? Yeah. So everything that you've said about getting, getting to chat, with bones is hundred percent accurate. And I'm um, just truly inspired by this conversation. You've spent so much time with him over the years. What, what have you learned? What have you picked up um, spending so much time with bones? Bones is uh, like a fresh, uh, you know, like a uh, fresh air. And I paddle out in the lineup and I see him. Uh, it just reminds me to become present more so. And every time I see him, it makes me smile. So it just really, you know, brings me back into being present as, you know, Bones does practice every day as we all should, um, you know, and uh, it's really nice to be out there too, because I love helping him out, you know, helping him with his pump game. So it helps me to, you know, interact and, uh, and really just enjoy the session more, you know, and with the whole crew we have out here in Maui, no matter what spot we're riding, um, more than chances are Bones will be there at the best spot. So it's a, uh, it's always a, Always a good thing to see him out there. And what do you, what do you think that we should learn in the limited time that we'll have today? What do you think that we should learn on this show from Bones? I would say uh, he shared a lot, a lot of good stories about stuff we didn't even know. You know, I mean, I learn every time he speaks, I learn new things. So I think you know these stories right here that say a lot, really, really say a lot, and. Uh, I'm just happy you got to share it and this is going to go. You know, What's your go. favorite story that you've had, he shared with you and maybe you could get him to share it with us. 
Um, some of the favorite stories is uh, when he's really excited and I'm like been out two and a half, three hours, you know, pumping like an animal. And I come in and Bones is having his lunch and he goes, you can't stick this in the freezer. We got to get back out there. <laughs> and I said, that's true. We can't. <laughs> but Bones, I don't have anything left. What do I do? You know, and so he's, he's really good at pacing himself and he doesn't lie when he says he can uh, you know, pump just as strong. I saw the other day we had this uh, South Swell that came in. He pumped just as strong from the first hour to the end hour. And uh, that was really impressive. I said, what is driving bones? It's like, it's something. And everyone uh, sees that out there just really impressed by it and amazed. So uh, that's just, that's, you know, that's inhuman right there, I think. But uh, that's just my opinion. Bones, what's your secret to aging well? I'll tell you a secret, brother. There is no aging. Tell me right now from your heart, you remember what you felt like when you were 14 years old. How do you feel right now? Don't you feel exactly the same? I do. I talk about this a lot. In the conversation. There it is. You will never not feel the same as you did. When I was two months old, I was the same as I am now. And when I'm two months gone off this planet, I'll be the same as I am right now. It's aging is a, you know, it, it's, it's a bad aging is a bad process. You know, there's many cultures that do not celebrate birthdays. They celebrate your mother and they celebrate the birth, but they don't sit there and, and count, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. I do not feel any different than I ever did in my life. And the enthusiasm is exactly the same, exactly the same. Happiness is happiness. And, you know, everybody wants to be happy and joyful and to share things. And that's it. Age is, is a, it's a misconception. I'm thinking that through right now. And, and I agree with you. There are physical changes that happen as you get older. How do you manage that? Or do you just proceed as if it doesn't happen? Well, Turn the camera on and you walk on your hands as long as you can. And I'll walk on my hands as long as I can. And we'll see what age had to do with it. Right. You know, it, it's, you are what you do. If, if every day you reach to the top shelf and get the pepper, every day you're going to be able to reach to the top shelf and get the pepper. It's the day that you don't and you have your grandkid get it for you or something that you're going to begin to change. When, when I get up in the morning, as soon as I'm awake, I, I do a, a quick little tensioning of all my muscles and then I relax them. I enjoy the peace for a moment. I roll out of my bed and I get on the carpet and I do a hundred push-ups in a row really quick. <clears throat> it takes me maybe a minute, 20 seconds. And I do it every day and I do not exercise, but the ability to do that means every day of my life, I'll be able to do a hundred push-ups. And then Later on, when I'm done kiting and stuff and I go home and I take my shower, I'll go out in the lawn and I'll walk on my hands for 100 steps on my hands. But that means that every day when I get up, I'll, I'll have the ability to do those two things. And I think that's good enough to carry you through. And when you come to stairs anywhere in the world, take them two at a time like when you were a kid. I mean, come on, let's have some fun. You know, if you, if you see me taking stairs one at a time, 
get ready because, you know, I'm, I'm not here anymore. And it just, I'm not bragging on the things that I do. I'm just telling you that you are what you do. You know, if you walk a little bit every day, you'll always be able to walk a little bit. It's a simple equation of life. You know, in the islands, people climb coconut trees until they're in their 70s, 80s. They're still climbing the coconut tree and getting the coconut. And the day they can't, they get their grandkids to do it. But I, I, I don't even think twice about that. When we play volleyball, we play with all different age people. It's different in Hawaii. All the men are brothers here. All the kids respect their elders. And respect is big here. And if your respect is genuine, you'll never be in trouble anywhere in the world. And I, I think uh, aging is, a, is a, got a bad rap because it just, it's another thing to be afraid of. And I don't know what else I could say about that. I just don't believe in it. Again, I love that. I think, I think it's incredibly powerful. It's been a beautiful thing in our foil community as well, because we span about a 50 year gap of the guys that foil together. And I don't think anyone even notices, except for me saying that right now, I just don't think anyone really notices or cares. Um, it's a really cool community. And, and I hope that's going on. It sounds like it's going on in your crew, but I hope that's going on everywhere. Well, everybody who's out in the water anywhere in the world is in my crew. And that's a fact. And if you go to a water park and everybody's going down the slide, they're not checking IDs. You know what I mean? Everybody's there to slide down a slide like a little kid. There's no age. When did you move to Hawaii? I moved to Hawaii in, in 74, I think, or 73. And I'd been living in Mexico before that. And uh, a quick little story to that end. I surfed every day of my life till I was 17. And then I started, I knew I was going to have to move out from the house. I knew that I wanted cars. I, I wanted to support myself. I wanted girls. And I knew if I had to continue to surf and try and go to work, I knew which one was going to win. I really did. And so I quit surfing. I know that sounds strange, but I did it. I walked away from that board for seven years and I chased the dollar. And when I had a Volkswagen recycling yard, that's what I did. And a junkyard in, in a layman's term. And one day somebody left an old longboard with me just on collateral and it sat there by my office. And every time I'd walk by it, it would go, Jim. And pretty soon, about a month later, it was shouting at me. Every time I'd walk by it, it was just yelling my name. And I thought, man, I think I got to go ride this thing. So I cut off my Levi's. I put it on the roof of my car with a rope. And I went down to blown out Huntington Beach cliffs, rainy, ugly. And I walked down the beach with my howly skin. And You know, you run across the beach and throw the board down and land on it and, and get that glide before you paddle. Oh, yeah. The moment that I did that, the moment my feet left terra firma and I landed on the board, this maniacal laugh came out of me that I did not generate. And I knew from that moment that I wouldn't be worth a damn to anybody or anything ever again. And within a month, I sold my business, moved to 
Mexico, and then from there to Hawaii. And the rest is history. People ask me, you know, when, when did I retire? And I like telling them when I was 27. <laughs> I love it. I, um, uh, I have a very similar story arc. I, um, I did the college and the real job thing and I left to, to make a long story super short. I just couldn't see how that was how people lived. And then I got offered a big promotion and just went in the next day and quit because I was, it was a trap and I didn't want to get stuck there. And a month later, I just moved to the beach and the rest is history. As you said, congratulations. I'm applauding you, brother. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't even fathom what my life would be like if I hadn't done that. Um, super grateful for that every day. Um, Great. Yeah. Great. And I know you try and do the most fun thing first every day, whether it's tow behind a boat, Absolutely. whatever you're going to do, you pick them and you go, you know what? This sounds like the most fun. I'm going to do that. Yep. And I uh, couldn't recite the Ten Commandments, but I can remember that. I can remember to do the <laughs> fun thing. I don't go a day without surfing or music. And I always pick ocean. And it's music is when I'm stuck inland or the waves are not not possible. Um, a lot of days it's both. Today was both. Um, what? This has been a fantastic podcast. How, how are you guys doing on time? I feel like I just want to learn as much as I possibly can right now, but I want to respect your your time uh, there's, that's another thing we don't recognize time over here we don't really i think it's a an invented concept so I, I don't really know about time maybe that's the secret to his foiling right there he just said it maybe and Step. aging or not aging or they're not being age yeah absolutely like the six hours and it just doesn't realize the time and how long he's been out there he has no concept of time when he's in the water that's for sure how has your love and passion for the ocean? Um, you said that you're married and how, how have you been able to, and this is a conversation I've had with Dave Kalam and a lot of other people who are, uh, you know, I'm, I'm as addicted to the ocean as anyone I know, uh, may, maybe not quite as much as you, but I'll get there. I promise. But how has that been? you know, for relationships and navigating greater life or lesser life, depending on how you look at it. But um, because surfing is somewhat of a selfish endeavor, you know, it's the, what, what, what we crave and um, the amount of time that we spend doing something that's so important to us, but it's not necessarily seen as that important by everyone else um, is huge. So how, how do you, how have you na navigated that? Uh, there's there's no navigation to it, you know. I'm I've always lived by the beach. My children surf. My wife boogie boards. You know, it's the beach has its own attraction, and and to each his own. You know, some people are attracted to golf, and they're having a great time. They're out there breathing the air. I've never played golf, but I I just think that uh, the we're lucky to have the salt water connections, the same pH as our blood. And, and there's a very strong connection with water and people, even people who don't get their toes wet. They like to live by a river. They like to walk by the ocean. They like to live by the ocean. 
you know, why is land so ridiculously expensive if you can even see the ocean? You know, all, all people have this in them about water, and I certainly don't understand it, but I enjoy it. And for relating to other people, you know, I, I think if you're with somebody who's happy and their life and their lady and their love is to see like a sailor, then be happy for them and en enjoy the, the joy that they have. And, and if you begrudge them for that, then, you know, get out because it's, you know, you, when I close my eyes, you're not there. Everybody's living their own life here. And, and, if you get between somebody and what they love, you know, look out, you're, you're going to poison yourself. That's, that, uh, that's an awful thing to do to somebody else and to do to yourself, to, to have that kind of insecurity or that kind of need. I've seen it, I've heard about it. You know, sometimes when we're sitting in a car looking at the waves, somebody's significant other will come up to the car and you can see that guy in the car, if he, scrunches down a little bit and his shoulders roll forward, you can tell what their relationship is. If his chest puffs up and his face lights up and he wants to get out of the car to greet her, you can tell what his relationship is. And I, I think it's nothing to do with the water, but uh, it's, it's to do with, you know, the, the joy of living and recognizing somebody else's right to live and enjoy them for what they are. You know, when somebody passes away, you could, you know, mourn them for years and years, or you can be grateful for the time you had with them, for that precious gift of being with that person. You know, so I, I look at it that way as far as water involvement and relationships. That, you know, see it for what it is. You mentioned earlier, um, and it was in the context, I believe, of aging, and that 20 years ago you'll be doing the same things as it that you'll be doing 20 years after you're gone. How do you see that? I, I like your worldview. How do you see the next phase of life after physical? Well, I, I know that intuition of things have come to me that I'm not smart enough to create on my own. And I, I think that I didn't just pop into existence. I think I came from something. And, you know, when I was looking for a job when I got this one. And when I'm out of this one, I'll be looking for another one. And I don't, I don't, th I don't think that it ends at all. And, you know, you, you're kind of in a personal pocket here, but uh, sure. there, there truly is no time. Time is thought of as linear, but it is not. It is not. There's, there's. The, I don't know, I'm at a loss for words here, but there's, there's, uh, to, to fear death would be ridiculous. You know, I mean, you, you have no control of it. It's, your life was a gift. Every breath is a gift. When, when you sleep at night, your heart beats all by itself. Your lungs breathe all by themselves. You're, you're not doing that. And, when you die, all of the medicine and all the doctors and all the test tubes, when you give up the ghost, as they say, they can't put it back in. They don't know what it is, but it is something and it is everything. 
life is but a dream and it truly is we are not we are not really here you know we live in a body but but we're not here when you dream at night you put every word in everybody's mouth that's in that dream with you you're the director of that dream and you make these perfect dreams and you could fall asleep in 30 seconds somebody slams a door and you wake up with this whole scenario of it was a cannon in the civil war and you had this family and you got this it has a whole history that dream that you created in the in the time it took for a sound echo to go into your ears so how does how does all of that imagination movie get made a two-hour movie within that split second of the sound reverberating into your ear that did not take time and i really think that us being on this planet it's it's time is not not really an element it's a hard thing to talk about because most people are locked into it you know right um, some people have had experiences i've had an experience where you know you you see something that's going to happen in the future and then it happens exactly as you saw it to the t and it could be years ahead or minutes ahead but how did you go forward in time to see that and how could it be perfect and if everything's a variant then how could it be written in stone that that's going to happen and then years later you live it you know it doesn't happen to everybody but people have had these experiences they usually don't talk about them i certainly had one and it's but once you have something like that you you realize that there is no time there truly is no time um something else i've been thinking about a lot this is getting pretty metaphysical for a foiling podcast here i love it um you know waves everything is a wave gravitational waves energy waves light waves the whole thing one of the things that i think is so incredible about surfing and music to some extent as well because you know music is waves but it's one of the purest interactions that we can have with real energy um just putting that thought out there as someone who might has have had a, a similar thought at some point to get your thoughts on it well it's it's just to discover it is a privilege and it's free you get to slide down a mountain that that in relative time doesn't end everybody loves a free ride everybody loves roller skating when you get off of your roller skates and you walk you feel dead and you feel gravity heavy we've all had that feeling and we don't know why but when we're up on the skates and we're we're moving there's a slight flying feeling and it's enough that when you get off the skates you feel like you weigh more and and a wave is is a very similar feeling like that it's a free ride everybody likes to slide down a mountain everybody likes all of these things a slide in a in a playground waves are a free ride and i remember a story in surfer magazine and it and the name of the story was and the waves kept coming or the waves keep coming something like that and it was just a basic story of a guy who surfed as a kid and then he quit surfing for a while and then when he went back years later the waves didn't judge him they were coming every night and day of his life but he didn't show up but when he did come back you know they were happy to carry him again and that's a real metaphor for life you know it's all here supporting us we can't be unsupported 
we can only have some imaginary, oh, poor me thought that we're not being supported. But waves are a great example of that. They come for thousands of miles to break on that beach once and give you a little ride just before they break on the beach. And they're, they're miraculous things. You know, they're, they're a big part of my life. I truly appreciate them. I don't know how to articulate what they are or what about them, but I know how I feel when I ride them. <laughs> um, what do you want to, Sky, is there anything that you think that we should um, dive into now? Or if not, I want to get some thoughts that um, Bone should leave us with. Um, I think you covered pretty much everything and more. I mean, this is, this is an amazing podcast. I'm really happy. Yeah, I'm yeah. loving it. Um, what do you want to leave us with? Aloha. This is the Progression Project Podcast. Deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen.